everyone, you're listening to Driving a Man with Jim Campanis Jr. and Eric Lindenberg, a show that we conceived, uh, Eric and I, because uh, we were calling each other to talk baseball. We figured, hey, why don't you kill some time on the your drive home from work and let's have some of our buddies call in. So, uh, Eric, first of all, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. How about yourself? Doing awesome. Doing awesome. We have a, we have a fun guest today. Um, obviously, with the way podcasts work, you know, you, you know who the guest is before you know, because we, we put it right under the description right there. So in this, I think there's no uh, reason to sort of uh, be secretive about this. We have what I consider to be Los Angeles legend, baseball legend, um, and, and, and obviously Anaheim Angel player, former player. But he did grow up in Long Beach, and that's Bobby Gritch. So I'm really excited about um, having Bobby on here. Um, and I know, Eric, you've uh, – I think you've – I'm not sure if you've met him or not, but I know you're aware of his uh, his background. Absolutely. I never had met Bobby, but uh, he was playing, having some of his best years when I was still in high school and college and uh, played for the Orioles and then the Angels. Yep. And uh, great competitor, man. I used to watch him play and I think, yeah, he does it right. He plays the game right. He does. And I was a bat boy. Uh, and we'll get into this with Bobby because I've gotten to know Bobby pretty well. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, first of all, I gave a speech at the, uh, it's, it's called the American um, Professional Baseball Players Association. And it's an organization that is uh, that is a charitable organization. And what what happens is when when some of the players, you know, you, you get older, and and sometimes you know these guys that that like myself, I don't have a pension, um, don't have any insurance related to baseball, don't have any, you know, wasn't the one of those one percenter guys. Well, this organization doesn't really help the one percenters because they kind of can help themselves. Uh, this organization, yeah. uh, but those one percenters, a lot of them donate to the organization. Uh, and Bobby Gritch is the president. And that's one of the big reasons we wanted to have him on, uh, because coming up here on, on November 9th, uh, that is a, a, a Saturday, November 9th, um, I'm going, and I, it's a, we have our annual dinner. And Bobby gets up there and um, tells everybody about, you know, how they can continue to, uh, to, to you know, grow and donate to the organization. Um, last year, I, I sat next to Rod Carew and Doug DeCincese, and and Jerry oh, Royce was there. I mean, it was just a fantastic event. Uh, they also honor uh, the top uh, minor league players from Southern California. Uh, so actually, Bobby was contacting me to see if I had some phone numbers and addresses of some guys that uh, uh, that they're uh, trying to get a hold of to be at the event. Um, so it, Bobby's got his hands full. He he works for the Angels, um, you know, as a, a, a sort of a part time. Um, what would you call it? Ambassador, sort of angels ambassador. Uh, and then he, he, he also works in the uh, real estate business and, um, oh yeah, he's the president of the, of the players association <laughs> and, um, oh, wow. and, and, and he's going to be on the call with us today as soon as he gets out of an angels event. So we're really excited about having Bobby on. Uh, one more thing about him. Uh, when I was a bat boy, when I was younger, uh, I, I might've been 13. Preston Gomez would drive me to the field. He lived nearby. And he was the third base coach at the time, so he picked me up and uh, and, and take me to this to the park. And almost every time I got there, we would be one of the first there. And Bobby Gritch was already dressed, and then he was ready to go. And just a gamer from you know, you could just tell he was a gamer. And he would, you know, uh, be the guy telling jokes in the middle of the clubhouse and, and laughing and having a good time. But he was also the guy who wanted to kick ass if anybody you know on the other team did something. Uh, and I remember a number of slides that he made that if you made them today, you'd be suspended for six months, you know. Um, yeah, and that was fact, the, uh, that's one of the things that was I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. How they played then versus how they play now. And the things that we've seen the past few years, 
you know, guys that the bat flips that are so right. over the top. You know, back when Bobby played, you did that. You were going to get your teammate drilled the next batter. Right. Uh, yeah, your teammate would get back flips. Right, right, right. And and that, that is, by the way, Bobby and I have had discussions about this. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to, to sort of clarify with Bobby on this call, too, and we've talked about this, but just to, to put it out there, you know, a lot of these, uh, like like Bobby's just between my dad's generation and mine. He's kind of like the one in between. And, yeah. um, and, and, and he was sort of like, you know, they were still coming off of sort of the, the way they taught hitting. It, 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 it was, I mean, it's not what they're teaching now, but it is. And that's what I was trying to tell Bobby. I go, look, you guys used to say swing down and the ball goes up, right? He goes, yeah, that, that's, that was our thing. And I said, well, when you swing down, Bobby, you're, you're actually going to level the swing out when it gets out by your front foot, right? He goes, well, yeah. And then you, then you, then the ball, and you know, you kind of get the ball in the air. And I go, well, guess what? That's what some Harvard guy decided to call um, the launch angle. And he's like, really? I, I go, isn't that more of a point of contact, contact, like where you made the contact versus, you know, put, trying to like create a loop with your swing? And he goes, I had no idea that that's what they were. I thought everyone was creating a loop. And I said, no, 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 watch these guys' hands. They're, they're going straight to the ball, just like you and I were taught, Eric, and back in, in, uh, in our day. And that's, yeah. that's, that's one of those things where, again, Bobby is just, he's still in the game. He's still really connected. Um, and, and, and he's, he, like many people, we, well, we talked to Rick Burleson and, and a lot of the same, same era. Um, you know, it's the vocabulary. It, that's the only difference. I, I really feel the game is the same and the swings are the same. Um, these younger guys are just emphasizing to hit the ball out in front where you and I know, you know, like in batting practice, when you hit them there, you, you hit them over the fence. Well, we were also told to get on base. You know what I mean? We were that's told right. to battle with two strikes. We were told to, you know, um, to get on base when, uh, you know, like, like when you lead off an inning, even if you're a power hitter, you weren't up there swinging out of your ass. You were, you were up there to get a hit or, or get on base somehow. Yeah, uh, and that's up on the bat. You choke up. Right. Too. And that's where, you know, the, the disconnect is coming in. Uh, and I see this on, I told you about our, I have a, where we have like this sort of private um, Facebook group with all 14,000 former pro players, debauchery most often um, on that page, but, <laughs> we do get into we do get into some you know serious talk about you know these new sort of terms you know um, and and that's you know it's, it's the same thing with pitching you know you always have to you always release the ball out in front on top of your front foot right well yeah. now and every and you know, don't tell me Nolan Ryan didn't have an unreal spin rate come on I mean there's no one but there was how would you count a spin rate back in the day like what 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 are you going to use you know. A, abacus you know what i mean so uh so that's that's my point it's like now they have triangulated lasers that can tell tell you instantly how fast the ball's spinning you know uh back in the day we have to come up back into the dugout and go hey his fastball's flat like that but that was the spin rate uh, thermometer right back in the day right that's so, right so anyway i know bobby's I gonna want to i'm oh, sorry go ahead. go ahead do you remember reading spins as a hitter trying to see oh absolutely if oh i totally were coming could. straight or spinning yeah i did the same thing I mean, that's, I had good coaches that taught us that, you know. That's right. And and by the way, I, I mean, even even now when I'm, uh, you know, uh, I work with some pitchers and I work with catchers, and a lot of times I'll put a pitcher and a catcher together, and I'll tell the catcher, you tell me when when the dot isn't tight on this on this kid's slider, and you know when you and I know that when the when you throw a when a pitcher throws a good slider, 
that dot is like the size of a dime and it's bright red, you know. That's right. And and then conversely, when they throw a crappy one, you know, I heard A-Rod, they, these guys are now calling them cement mixers because it looks like that, like a, you know, the cement mixers that you, you know, you're putting your, like, like look, you're repairing your sidewalk or something, the little handheld ones. Yeah. They, they like, they kind of spin all wobbly and, and that's what a, that's what a bad slider does. And you know, when you get that dime dot, that thing's going to break and snap. And when you get the big fat one, I, I call it a quarter, it's the size of a quarter or a, or a half dollar that big dot isn't going anywhere, right? Well, you, you can right. see that in these super slow-mos, like in the World Series right now, these super slow-mos, um, you can see all that stuff. And it's pretty neat, I mean, to see, um, who was it last night? Some guy was throwing Harris for the for the Astros, and um, he kept trying to come in, and, and, it, and it was a cement mixer when he, when he tried to throw it inside. But it was nasty as hell when he threw it outside. I mean, almost unhittable. Um, and by the way, Eric, that's the other thing that I'm seeing. And you tell me what you think. Did you not just look fastball every pitch and adjust the curve or slider? Like yes, I think these guys, yes. I think these guys are actually 100% all in every pitch. They're guessing what where what it is and where it is. Is that is that your feeling too? That's what I see. And it's frustrating to see that because I see so many guys go down. You know, they've obviously guessed the wrong pitch and they look bad. And right. it's just. Uh, it's so basic. It is the most basic thing about hitting. Look fastball, adjust for anything else. Right. And yet they don't do it now. Uh, and, you know, and pitchers are smart. Pitchers are very smart. They always were, and they are still. And they know what we're doing out there. Right. Right. And I think that's the, uh, you know, I, I look at a guy like Bregman, who, and he, he self-admittedly, you know, he's like, I live, and, I live and die by the analytics, you know. And so when he's really hot, you know, he he's up there with a plan based on what the analytics are, and it's so deep, by the way, that I, I and I know someone, and I we you know I've, I've told you this story, but I'll say it one more time for the folks who maybe haven't heard it. But like, uh, Bregman went down to USC with AJ Hinch just this past off season, and they were hitting and talking about USC wanted to talk to those guys about analytics because they wanted to get deeper into it at the college level. And AJ Hinch and the old uh, USC coach were our buddies, former teammates. So, anyway, they go out there and they start talking, and they were talking about Sonny Gray, the pitcher. And when Houston faced him we, a couple weeks before, they had um, they had they had measured his spin rate, and they realized, oh, his ball's spinning so fast today, we can't hit his high fastball, so we need to look down. And to me, that's actually cool. That's a good use of analytics. You're, now you're actually looking at a location because you know a high spin-rated fastball is unhittable when it's at your chest. It looks, it, it's optically, optically uh, an illusion. It's an optical illusion. You know, it, it seems right. like it's rising, right? So conversely, in the third inning of that next game they play, they see his spin rate's gone down, so they start looking up because now they know the ball's going to have a sense of decay as it as it stops spinning as rapidly when it gets closer to the plate and they can just jump on it. So I think those are good uses of the analytics. In my opinion, the bad uses are, okay, this guy throws 68% sliders on one and one. So you're going to guess 68%. You're going to go with that low. That's a, that's a C plus, you know, <laughs> that's not even yeah. it's a 90, 94%. Well, yeah, I'm looking slider for sure. But if this guy's throwing it three quarters of it or two, two thirds of the time, what about that other third of the time? And what if that's with two strikes? I mean, this is where I have a disconnect with uh, how these guys are are, um, are doing it. You know what I mean? That, that, yeah, that's I do. The, 
that's the, the, the point that I'm, I'm a little you know skeptical about. You know, maybe that's too much. I think it's too much when you're going into the game, basing every attack on something you look at on a computer. You know, earlier in the day, it's just like we talked about uh, the Dodgers in the playoffs announcing who they were going to pitch in certain innings. You know. Right. You can't play the game from the computer up in the GM's office. You cannot do it. It's, you're going to lose, and, you know, we see what's happened. Uh, well, the analytics, it's a great place for them, like you were talking about, but I don't think you can let it dominate everything you plan for. No, and that was one of the things that uh, was very refreshing when Joe Madden gave his uh, sort of, you know, I'm back speech uh, at the stadium the other day, you know, coming back as the Angels manager. And he said something like, you know, we're going to use analytics and we're going to use our heart. And, uh, and there's an art between the two. And, and I, you, I mean, and I totally understand what he means because, you know, and you and I kind of talked a little bit about how the Dodgers use some of their pinch hitters. Uh, and who is that guy? I'm, just, I'm blanking on his name. Pollock. Pollock. Guy struck out 11 times in a row. Oh, what a perfect yeah. time to put him up right now as a pinch hitter in, the, in, the, <laughs> in, a, in a critical situation. When you're down by a couple of games, let's put in the guy who struck out 11 times to save the day. And this is a 100% yeah. analytics call because he probably hit that pitcher, whoever it was, well. And he struck out for the 12th time when he went up there. So, yeah, I mean, this, know, I this, this is not and using you know, your head. You know, this to me, no. that's, that's analytics over, over, your, over your, your head. You know what I mean? Yeah. The other part of that is Pollock goes up there knowing he struck out 11 times in a row. And I don't care how mentally strong you are, that's going to be needling at the back of your brain a little bit. Right. You know, you're going to be saying, I can't strike out again. And that puts extra pressure on yourself, and you might, you might uh, miss a pitch. You might miss a pitch you were waiting on normally. Because not you think of all these analytic things. Right, and not to mention you're ice cold sitting on the bench for the last six innings or whatever it was, and now they're going to put you in there? It's like, I mean, this again, th- th- these, these are so, like, non-intuitive baseball moves that that I saw from the Dodgers that, you know, you and I talked about this off air, like, okay, everyone wants, you know, Dave Rogers head. I mean, Dave Roberts head, but it's not Dave Roberts making the call. It's Friedman making the call. That's upstairs. Right. And, and, and he, he's just needing a, you know, a, a guy in a uniform to, to flash the signals to the third base coach to put that play into, into the, into the game, you know, or whatever it might be. So, Look, that's been going on. You know, my grandpa used to bark, you know, stuff down to the clubhouse every so often in the dugout from his, you know, GM box. And, you know, but it wasn't necessarily like bunt right now or or put in so-and-so to pinch hit. But that's, I think, how deep it is, you know. Um, and David Ross, I think that's another reason he might have been, you know, a good fit for the Cubs because they are so analytically um, set up. And now here's a guy who came out of a, you know, as a player, an analytics player on that in that organization already knows, you know, as a catcher, kind of how they roll. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he's also become sort of like a, a puppet to the to Theo uh, Epstein, just like sure Roberts has. has become. I, I, I think that's sure how he, he got has. the job. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Uh, the one thing everybody forgets, and I'm glad Matt mentioned Hart being part of it, because you forget these are not robots going up and playing right. and, and hitting. There is a lot right. of emotion involved, and you keep it in check. And you know, we talked about how to how to rattle opponent opponent players, opposing players. You find out what their weakness is and exploit, and that's all part of the heart part of the game. It has nothing to do with the head part. Right. Now, hundred percent, hundred percent agree with you on that. And that's again the uh, 
the challenge that uh, you know we're facing is is you know older player again former players and and watching the game that we love just turn into something that well and you know it's funny because the two teams that are in the World Series uh, one of them is sort of you know like a Dodger it's built like the Dodgers built like the Yankees you got a bunch of studs and a bunch of home runs and great pitching uh, and then the other one is a team from the 80s, 70s, 80s, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, 90s kind of a team where you have like a real leadoff guy, a guy who gets on base, he's a shortstop, a turner, and he runs like the wind, he steals bases. Um, you know, you got a you got a guy like a Steve Garvey and Rendon, you know, just he's not going to hit 40 home runs, 50 home runs, but he's going to have a high batting average, driving a ton of runs, who's a clutch hitter. Uh, but you need runners on base for these kind of guys. You got you got a Juan Soto in there, um, who's kind of like you know the old school, like a Pedro Guerrero guy who comes out of nowhere and is just a, an absolute human wrecking ball with a bat, you know. And I, yeah. again, and Zimmerman is you know he's a, he's an older guy and he's keeping the clubhouse you know in check with the veteran thing. And there's just so many good things going for that team that that you know you would never look at them at the beginning of the year on paper with the war the, with all these players wars lined up and say oh this team is going to win it for sure i mean now and oh and then they got the baby shark you know that that, that all of that is just like glue that's holding them together and so right. i mean you i don't know what the outcome of this is going to be but i do see that if i'm some of these other teams especially ones that can't compete in the free agency market like the Kansas Cities of the world and you know the the uh you know the Milwaukee Brewers of the world and you look at the team and like, okay, how can I replicate a team with the pieces that are there that Washington has right now? You know, how can, you know, and how can I, I know I can fit these guys in my payroll, but it's like, when you, when you hear the backstories of a bunch of these Washington players, they were castaways. Some of them, you know, they were, yeah. you know, Adam Eaton castaway, you know, you, you got some of these guys that are just like, yeah, oh, we don't want them anymore. That um, Sanchez castaway, the pitcher, Anibal, Anibal yeah. Sanchez. Sure and here they are in the world. Yeah. Castaway. Hey, Eric, I think we got our guest here. We have uh, Mr. Right. Bobby Gritch. How are you, Bobby? Hey, guys. Uh, good to join hey. you. Good. Hey, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, this is uh, Jim Campanis, Jr., of course, uh, Bobby. And then my co-host here is Eric Lennenberg. Hey, Bobby, how you doing? All right, Eric. All right, how you guys doing? What's going on? Uh, we're doing great, man. We're doing our uh, little weekly podcast, and I thought it'd be really appropriate. You and I uh, are, you know, we're members of the – APBPA, um, and then we were talking about it before you came on, a little bit about what you've done uh, being present over there, and I just kind of wanted to start off right away by, you know, making sure everyone knew about the upcoming event on November 9th. Why don't you give us a little bit more info on that? Right. It's uh, the APBPA, Association of Professional Baseball Players of America. Pretty much a mouthful, uh, but uh, it's been around since, uh, since 1924. Uh, the likes of Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb, Ty Cobb were the uh, about eight or nine, ten guys in the major leagues were the original ones to start it, and it's been around for a long, long time. Chuck Stevens ran it out of Long Beach for 36 years, and then Dick Beveridge ran it out of Brea for about 18, 19 years. And uh, I've been on the board for the last five years, and Dick Beveridge uh, last year asked if I would take it over. His health is uh, failing a little bit, so I did, and so uh, the last year I've been uh, president of it, and we have a dinner coming up, an annual dinner, uh, Angel Stadium, in the Diamond Club, <laughs> and it's um, November 9th, uh, Saturday, uh, starts at 5.30 cocktails, dinner at 7, 
and it's basically just a, it's a network of the uh, baseball brotherhood alumni uh, guys that uh, are are chipping in to help uh, other ball players that are down and out, and that was uh, Ty Cobb and Babe Ruth's initial initial um, reason for the for the group. And we've carried that on. So that's what we're doing, and uh, we're branding, branching out to a few other things, but we can talk about that later. But the, the dinner is uh, open to anybody. Uh, we're going to have uh, quite a few ex-players there, Tony Muser, Tom Gamboa, uh, Tommy Davis, Rod Carew, uh, Tom Murphy, and uh, that's what I've got so far off the top of my head. But see, we should have a good group of ballplayers coming. Yeah, I know Daryl Thomas is coming. I think Jerry Royce might be coming as well, some of the Dodger guys. I think it's going to be I, – I was telling Eric, by the way, earlier, Bobby, I, I sat down in my chair uh, last year, and I looked at my left, and there's Rod Carew. And I'm like, hey, Rod, <laughs> how are you? And uh, it's just, yeah. it was just it, – it's just a wonderful event. But funny thing, by the way, my dad invented the bat or created the bat, the C243 bat model. And he hated it. He uh-huh. used it for a little bit. My dad hated it after he used it for a little while. And he never used it again. Well, guys like Rod Carew picked it up, you know, Wade Boggs, Tony Gwynn. And, and the C243 has more batting titles than any bat model ever. So I was having a little fun with Rod uh, about uh, about that bat. And he knew. He knew the whole story. So it was really fun to, to talk to those uh, some of those guys. And Rod looks great. You know, he had a little health scare there for a minute. And, and he looked great, didn't he? So I think he's still doing great. Yeah, he is. Um, in fact, he was at Joe Madden's press conference uh, the other day, and uh, he's doing well. He's hanging in there. I mean, for what he went through, it's just incredible. Right. Uh, but uh, I, I remember the C243. In fact, I used it. There, there was not a bat in the bat room that I didn't use. <laughs> I tried. I was trying everything. Uh, some some years, I probably went through uh, 15 different models. But uh, the C243 was a small handle big barrel right it was a lot like the r1 like the r161 which um frank robinson uh donnie baylor um i think um richie allen a lot of your sluggers would use the the small handle and then big barrel so they could feel the barrel coming through and, and most of the mass was was in the barrel most of the weight of the bat was in the barrel but right. the c243 was just a little bit thicker handle i do i do believe than the r161 so it would it could handle some hits off off the hands more than the r161 because if you got hit in the hands of the r161 it would break the bat for sure yeah the c243 was just a little bit thicker i do believe right well, it was it was actually a remember the P72. Of course you do because you probably used one like I did. The P72 had a thinner handle, so my dad told yeah. the guys at, at at Louisville. He said, "Put a P72 handle on an R161 head," and that's how that bat was created. Right. So it was a little bit thinner. And then you know during the Conseco era and those guys, they were actually shaving the handles even thinner uh, to get that wow. extra whip. You know, um, and uh, so yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just funny that we you and I have talked you know offline as well um, about some of this. Uh, you know, newer stuff, right? And and you and I never had the benefit of swinging a maple bat. Um, you're a couple years older than me, but but uh, you and Eric, I think, are right about the same age. But you know, I was, you know, my last game I played was like in '97 or '96 or something, and only Barry Bonds was the only player that I knew of at the time to swing a maple bat. And now every single guy is using a maple bat, and and it's because these bats are so dense they're they're so much harder you you when you hit a ball right on the screws 
Um, remember, you used to get like a lace mark sometimes right on the barrel where you hit it. You know, you hit it on a on an ash bat. And they, these yeah, maple bats, the, uh, the, the yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And, and and the, and I'm just saying, and now these maple bats, they, there's no there's no mark after a thousand sh- hits off of these things. It's it's incredible. Um, and of course, we can talk about the ball all day, but you know, I think we also have to remind ourselves why are there so many home runs? Well. You see in Houston's left field. I mean, I dare you to find a high school field in Orange County where the field is any shorter than that Houston left field. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, so funny how it's. I had people over last night, uh, some neighbors over to watch the uh, World Series game last night, and we were talking about uh, a couple balls. The Springer hit a ball, and I think Altuve hit a ball. That uh, or Springer maybe the game before he, or no, I think it was last night. Whatever. Anyway, and, and but Altuve for sure hit a ball last night. He thought. You know, he was in his home run trot as soon right. as he hit it. Well, the ballpark at Washington is just that much bigger. And, uh, you know, at Houston, that ball's out. And But I also started telling him just what you were talking about. The left, the left, field, the left field fence in Houston is like it's, – it's like a high school fence. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I, I wished – you know, I always – when I was a player – I thought, and I was very outspoken about it, talk about it with my teammates. I'd say, why in the world do they make parks with large, with long way to the fences? Why do they make such big parks? I said, look at the parks that are the most interesting, that fill up every night. It's Fenway. It's, it's uh, Wrigley Field, Chicago. Uh, it's Cincinnati. It was a you know river riverfront stadium in uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, the ball flew out of there. Philadelphia. The ball flew out of the old Veterans Park or whatever it was. I we were playing Philadelphia in a preseason game uh, on our way barnstorming up from Florida. We stopped to play the Phillies at Veterans Park. I took batting practice. I was astounded. I couldn't even believe how the ball would fly out of there. <laughs> yeah. And then you have Houston. Houston is three fifteen down the line, 315 down the line, and then it goes and then it goes straight across for the first what is that, 100 feet or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it it's uh I mean, you know, where in Angel Stadium when you go about 100 feet outside the line, it's 389. Right. It's 389 about where they are at 315. So I mean, it's uh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I I just wish I could have played in that ballpark my whole career. That's all. Well, I you know, <laughs> the funny thing is, Bobby um, Gary L hit a big home run against the Yankees, and it was a big one, a big three-run home run. And they, you know, they do the stat cast, right? They measure the the distance, right? And yeah. that ball, that ball measured three hundred and fifty-six feet. So in other words, Justin Upton is camped oh. into that. He's not even on the warning track at Anaheim Stadium, and he's catching that. And here Gurriel is running around the bases as the hero of all time, uh, hitting a 356-foot yeah. pop fly. You know what I mean? So I didn't, uh, I didn't see that stat. That's incredible. Yeah, well, there you yeah. go. I mean, it's uh, – you know another thing about playing in a ballpark like that? And, um, you know, Altuve's led the league in hitting, what, two two out of the last – I don't know what it is, two, two times, three times, whatever it is. And I'm yeah. not taking anything away from him. He's a fantastic player. I mean, incredible player. But you look at the Boston Red Sox batting average all you know every year, and you look at the Houston Astros batting average every year, and it's it's huge. But you know what else it does is it snowballs on itself. You know, you get up and you hit two long fly balls to left field, and you're 0 for four. You know, two strikeouts or whatever. And then you're in Houston, and you hit two hits, and you're two for four. Your whole approach, your whole 
attitude, your whole confidence level, everything coming back to the ballpark the next day is like, you know, it's like a 360-degree turn. Totally. I mean, it's just, it snowballs on you so much that your season over six months, it's a tremendous effect on on your, you know, on your vitality, your energy, your upbeatness, everything about it, it snowballs for you. Absolutely. It, Eric, by the way, plays at Arizona State, and so he's had a a lot of uh, a lot of at bats against you know high level pitching. He went on and, and started getting into the the media side of baseball for the last you know twenty thirty years. Uh, so you know he's seen a lot of, of stuff. And I know Eric, you had a couple of questions uh, that you wanted to, to roll over uh, roll off onto uh, Bobby. Yeah, Bobby, I uh, I started seeing you play when I was in high school and college, and I remember distinctly. I was telling Kathy this earlier. You were a guy who played hard. You played the game right, the way our coaches used to tell us. But, for instance, sliding into second base, you're there to take out the second baseman or shortstop, whoever's covered. You can't do that today. And also, guys that do the big, fat flips, and they stand at home play to watch their home run go over the fence. Back when I played, and I want to ask you if it was the same when you played, your teammate coming up next was going to get hit if you did that. How do you feel about that today? You know, obviously, it's, it's a whole different era. That was, you know, that was 30 years ago. Uh, and, and, you know, I tell you what, it's, it's kind of interesting is that I think football kind of started it. Maybe it even started from basketball. I don't know when they had, uh, you know, the Lakers with uh, Magic Johnson and all that crowd, and they would, they would just uh, run and gun and get hot dog moves and, you know, play to the crowd and that kind of thing. Then it spilled over to football. Uh, the NFL started doing it with their dances and they're spiking the ball and kind of taunting the other team and whatnot, and they got real dramatic. And then, then at the last, the last fortress of traditional uh, good sportsmanship was into baseball. And uh, I think I remember remember Leonard with the San Francisco Giants. What was the big, oh, yeah. the big guy? Yeah, Jack Man. I, I played with him. Yeah, what was his first name? Jeffrey. Jeffrey, Je- Jeffrey Hackman Leonard. They called him the Hackman. And yep. he. Okay, okay, he could hit, all right, he could hit. And he would go around for a space and take take a long, big, long time, and he did something with his left arm. I can't remember what he kind he of called it, dropped uh, it he, down he, low. Yeah, he called it one flap down like like he was an airplane. One flap down, he's going to make <laughs> yeah. the turn around the bases. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of the first, as I can recall, one of the first guys that sort of, uh, you know, was some, if you want to call it flair or whatever you want to call it. But I tell you, I think that, the showmanship, the flipping of the bat, the what we used to call a hot dog move and showing up the other player, I really feel that it plays to the crowd. It gets them more excited, and it's it's colorful. I mean, I kind of hate to say that, but, I mean, I'm not really – I'm kind of old school in the way you play the game, but I'm kind of not old school in showmanship playing to the fans because baseball is not – you know, if everybody was – stoic and uh, conservative and afraid to show some emotion, I think that the game would be, you know, not as as interesting, not as exciting, not as emotional. So I really don't begrudge these guys. I don't. I really don't begrudge Batista. I mean, it was, you know, back in my day, the next guy would have got hit for sure right in the coconut, right? But yeah. honestly, honestly, in today's world, you need showmanship, you need color, you need flair, because there's so much that you're competing with, and you got to grab the attention of the fans and go, whoa, look at that, look at that bat flip, you know, on and on and on. So, honestly, 
I've changed my I've changed my outlook on on the showmanship, sports, uh, the uh, uh, flair, and uh, everybody being a little bit of a character. I kind of like it, and 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 it's one thing about golf that I kind of don't like about golf. I love golf. I love the game of golf. I love watching the players, the PGA players. But I kind of, I mean, Tiger Woods. Let's face it, the most popular golfer ever was one of the most emotional. And right. and I think that's why the fans love the guy. Pumped his fist. He would show emotion. He wore his emotions on his sleeve. I, I, so, Meg, I guess I'm kind of rambling on here. I apologize for that. But I, I actually have have gone away from my traditional feeling about the bat flips and stuff like that. And I, I think showmanship is all good because baseball needs it. We need it to keep the fans. Our attendance has been going down a little bit. The younger generation, the millennials, we need all the flair, all the excitement we can get. So I don't begrudge them today. I've kind of changed my opinion on that. Well, you are. I never, I never looked at it from that perspective. Well, he was, but you know, Eric, Bobby was a trendsetter back in the day because, you know, like he said, wear your emotions on your sleeve. And Bobby did that. You know, I was telling you earlier, I was a bad boy and I got to see, you know, firsthand Bobby blowing up, a, you know, something behind the scenes uh, after a bat at bat. Uh, you know, no one saw, but, but, but no one saw, but maybe the bat boy and the couple other guys. <laughs> but I saw firsthand, and I don't look at that as anything, but like, and I had, the, I, I call it, it's passion. You have, you had the passion, and you still do. And I've seen you, you know, giving speeches before. Uh, the speech last year uh, at the APBPA dinner was, was great with the, with the passion that you brought out. Um, and again, I think that that's the way that you presented that, that, that your, your feelings about today's player. I think you were the same. You just did it the opposite way. You, you, you competed so hard against the other team. It was almost like you were also pumping up the fans because of your intensity. So I kind of like to see both sides of, of that. Uh, let's have fun, but let's also, let's also, you know, be a little bit more like Bobby Gritch and be intense and go after it. Uh, and I got one question for you also, Bobby, um, about today's players versus, uh, uh, you know, uh, yesteryear's players. Would would players from today just walk up to Donald Trump, put their arm around him, and pour a beer on their head, do you think? Or how how would that work? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. I know you're referring to the, <laughs> to the beer I poured over Richard, Richard Nixon's head. And That's exactly that right. The, uh, <laughs> You know, he was living, he was in San Clemente at the at the Western White House they used to call it. So he right. uh, once he was out of his presidency, uh President Nixon was in San Clemente, but he befriended Gene Autry and he would come to just about every Sunday game. Gene Autry was there almost every night, by the way, when he was the owner and sat in the owner's uh, box right up there in the second level behind home plate. And uh, and, and uh, President Nixon would come almost every Sunday. And uh, he was a huge fan. Uh came down to the locker room with Gene, loved to meet the players. And he told me one time, he said, Bobby, I really love the way you play the game, and, and I appreciate your comments, Jim, about my intensity. I really appreciate that. And he kind of said the same thing. He said, I love the way you play the game and you block second base. And him, and he was really a big baseball fan. So, I, you know, we kind of had a little bit of a relationship and a friendship, you know, and it was I always was open to talking with him, having fun. So after about probably two years of he, of he being a fan, we uh, we had a good year in '79, and uh, we win the Western Division Championship for the first division uh, championship of the Angels organization ever. So he and Gene Autry, they were standing right there at the open entrance there, and uh, kind of watching all the havoc going on with the champagne being sprayed, and you know there was plastic all the way across all the lockers, and uh, the two of them were they were both wearing suits, and they were standing there, you know, and somebody accidentally shot some spray of champagne. 
all across that wall that they were, you know, right there by the opening, and they both got sprayed with champagne. And they just, they just, la- they just laughed and they just giggled like a couple kids. <laughs> and they look at each other and they just kind of gave each other a high five. And they were just having the, the time of their life. They didn't care. I mean, Giannacci was so thrilled. You know, he's probably got 350 suits. So, like, if he loses one suit, it's not going right. to, it, it wouldn't bother him, right? <laughs> and so they just, they just kind of were digging it. And they just sort of hung right there, even though they, they kind of got, you know, wet. And then they sort of kind of moseyed in. They just kind of came into the into the fracas, right? And they were just sort of getting sprayed every now and then and laughing and giggling. They just kind of just, you know, absorbing it and taking it all in. And I just thought, man, this is my one chance to spray a president. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I, I can't pass this up. And I went over to get a bottle of champagne and all the champagne was gone because they had come down a little bit late, right? Okay. And I looked over and there was this big tub of, of Budweiser beer in, a, in, in ice. So I reached back, I reached down, I grabbed a Budweiser, and uh, this guy who had a uh, a camera, he goes, yeah, man, Chris, yeah, yeah, get him, get him. He's like, okay, come on. So I go over to Mr. Nixon, President Nixon, and I popped the can of the beer, and he didn't know what I was doing. I was kind of behind him, and I put my arm around him with one arm, and I said, I said, President Nixon, I said, this Bud's for you. And, you know, that was at the time when this Bud's for you was like this. Oh, ultra, it's the biggest uh, thing. Yeah, know, yeah, for the, yeah. For the commercial at the time, right? And so I poured this cold beer over his head, and he just howled and laughed, and it went, it hit him right in the head, it went right down. You know, he kind of had a little bit of a, of a ski nose, right? And so that right. the, the trail of beer went right down his nose and went out like a fountain, just like spewing right out, you know, like, like, a, like a ski jump, right? And he just, and the guy, guy took a picture of that and uh he had he mr president nixon and i just laughed and how and we just had a good time with it you know and i just we was we all were just kind of crazy and happy and uh so so the end of the story real quick is the guy, that guy that took the picture was on the ap wire right he was the ap photo photograph which you know obviously you don't have that now with digital right but he right. put that photograph on the wire <clears throat> and it went to all of the newspapers around the country so that particular photograph was either on the front page of the paper or it was on the front page of the sporting of the sports page all across the country people from like the, the washington post and the um you know uh, uh uh dallas time you know all these papers all over the country people were sending it to me say i saw your photograph and uh, it was all over the place so fast forward about five five years and President Nixon moves from the White House uh, in the you know, Western White House in Sacramento. He moves to New York, and uh, he and Pat are living in New York. And so we go to play the Yankees about 1984, 85 or something, and the word gets out that President Nixon is going to come in the locker room before the game to say hello to everybody. So he comes in with his, uh, you know, two or three, uh, um, you know, security guys, and he comes in and he goes, where's Bobby Critch? Where's Bobby Critch? <laughs> you know, as soon as he walks in, I go, I go, oh, no, he's going to read me the riot act, you know. And so I go, over here, President. He goes, son, get over here. And so I go over there, and he puts his arm around me, and he says, son, I want you to know I got more good publicity out of you pouring a beer over my head than any of my press secretaries ever got from me. He says, I should have hired you. <laughs> so we, he was great. He was a great sport about it. And uh, he, he just enjoyed the, the, the revelry and, you know, just the feeling of a championship. And he was able to celebrate it, you know, with, 
the first, you know, the first one that uh, Gene Autry experienced, and uh, I think the first and only one under his uh, ownership. Yeah. If I think about it. And so it, it was really a fun day, I and mean, it was a fun photograph. So that that's the kind of the story behind it. But it was, you know, I wasn't. Uh, it wasn't like I was showing him up, or it, we were just right. reveling together. We were just reveling right. together and having a great time. Now that's super fun, and that and that, and that's why I wanted you to tell that story. I remember hearing it. But this is just example of the types of stories that we're going to hear uh, over at this uh, at at the um, APBPA dinner at uh, Anaheim Stadium at the Diamond Club coming up here on the ninth, right? Isn't that kind of what we get yes. from all the guests that come up there and speak. And I remember hearing a couple of great right. stories uh, from, from uh, Jerry Royce last year. And then, and, and Rod Crew was up there telling us about his story and it's a lot of fun. Yep. So I, I wanted to make sure we want to, and by, one more topic, Bobby, and then we want to just wrap it up. I know you got, uh, you got to get going. Um, Eric and I, we struggle a little bit with some of the analytics and some of them make sense to us, but we feel that they're misnamed from basically like, like let's just call them non-baseball player Ivy League, you know, geniuses guys. Right. And you and I, you and I have talked about this in the past about launch angle, and and I hate listening to announcers that don't understand what that really means. They feel like uh-huh. they make it seem like that players are intentionally trying to swing up and hit the ball over the fence from an uppercut right. standpoint. Uh, right. And I think what really we talked about, you know, you and I is, you know, you and I would would, you know we were told to swing down and the ball will go up. But when you think about it, when you swing down at a ball from your, when you, when your hands are in your load position and you swing down, by the time the bat uh, gets out by, by where your front foot is, the bat levels out and you're on plane with the ball. And, you know, if you recall your furthest home runs you've ever hit, oftentimes you, you, you're running down the line. You go, how'd I do that? You know, right. because you got the bat head out there uh, to that sort of point where, every one of these players now is practicing getting that ball out there where you and I would like a lot of times and Eric too, you know, my dad and my grandpa and everyone who played baseball, we would let the ball get a little deeper so that we had better chance of making hard contact. And no matter where it went, we were, we were right. you know, producers, not directors. Right. And we didn't right. strike out as much. And, um, and, and we got on base more often our batting averages were higher. Uh, so how do you feel about some of this, some of these metrics, um, uh, you know, and 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 the the, the use the where they're using them nowadays. Well, you know, I it um, I I certainly think that all the analytical information that you can get, the better. Okay, give give me all the analytical information you want you want to give me. It's awesome. Where's this guy hit the ball twenty four percent of the time? Where's he hit it fourteen percent of the time? Then let's put our defense uh, to to guard against where this guy hits the ball. I'm all on board on that. And, you know, this pitcher, uh, when the count is one and two, uh, 62% of the time he's going to throw you a, a cutter away or whatever the case may be. And give me, as a player, give me all the statistics you can on every on the pitcher I'm facing tonight and basically what he's going to throw in this certain situation most of the time. I want to know all that stuff against like a right-hander or something, whatever it might be. I love all that stuff. That's great. But I think on the hitting part with the launch angle – you know, if you're Jose Canseco or you're Mark McGuire or you're uh, Paul Goldsmith or you're, uh, you know, any of these guys, uh, Mike Trout, uh, although Mike Trout doesn't do that, but any of the guys that have enormous power, I could see at a certain 3-1, 2-0 count to be thinking, this is my, this is my, this is going to be my home run pitch. This is the pitch I'm going to load up on. This is the pitch I am going to try and launch. And you take, a, you have a slight 
change in your swing and you got it in your brain that you are going to go ahead and give it a whack and if you can hit this one out of the ballpark, fantastic. 2031, most likely going to get a fastball. Once you've got all the analytics, you know that it's it's 78 to 86% of the time you're going to get a fastball depending on who the pitcher is. Now there might be some pitchers like Don Sutton who's in the who's in the Hall of Fame that when the count was 2 and 0 or 3 and 1, he threw a changer he threw a change up cutter basically right. uh, uh, 82% of the time. So if I had those analytics uh, back then, uh, I would have known that when I faced him, when he went, came over from the National League and he came over to play the, uh, he was with the Milwaukee Brewers in the playoffs. I didn't know that about him at that time when we faced him in the playoffs in Milwaukee. He threw me, I was licking my chops on three and one. I was licking my chops on two and oh on him. And I'm thinking home run. I was actually thinking home run. And he threw this change up cutter I took a I took a great swing at. All of a sudden, the ball moved and dove on me, and I went, I went, what the heck was that, right? And right. and so we didn't have the analytics on it. Now, uh, you know, so something like that. I love the analytics, but the, the, here's the thing that that I that I think is that Mike Trout, when the guy says, okay, what's your approach when you hit, Mike? And he, he, what he didn't he leave the American League in home runs with 45. Was he first in the American League? I don't know. I thought he did. Yes, I think yes, he, he was. was. Okay. Yeah. Okay, not I think somebody else at 47 in the National League. I don't know. Anyway, right. he had 45 home runs this year. He was interviewed after the game, live on TV. I saw it. And he goes, well, you know, he says, I just go up there. I'm just trying to hit a line drive. I'm just trying to hit a line drive. That's all I want to do. And if I get slightly under it, I hit a home run. Bingo, bingo, right. bingo, bingo. That's how you hit a home run. That's I think, should be the approach. Not to go up there and i got to hit a 27 uh, degree angle swing because that's how I'm going to launch it out of the ballpark. I mean, you know, it's just not happening. A little second baseman who's going to hit five home runs a year, he should go up there and be swinging at a 27 degree, you know, launch angle. No, hit line drives, move the guy over. Let's get some guys on base. It's about on base percentage. And also, what happens is when you're launching the ball, you're going to get more strikeouts. Your on base percentage is going to go down, like you said. You're not going to get anywhere near as many walks. And so, you know, it's just going to be kind of boring baseball it's going to be a lot of strikeouts i mean guys strike out now what 140 50 60 70 180 That's times normal. a year yeah oh yeah and, and no and nobody blinks an eye i mean when when i played if you had over 80 strikeouts 80 strikeouts or so the batting coach was on you he was in your grill about hey bobby next year i want you to choke up we've got to get you not striking out just put the ball in play i mean and i I'm old school on that. And I, there was a stat uh, during the World Series about um, uh, getting the ball in play. The Houston Astros led the league in not striking out, okay? Led, led of all baseball, I think, in yeah. making contact, you know, in making contact. And one of the best hitters in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, Ameri- in the National League, Rendon, was one of the hardest guys to strike out or had some kind of, you know, get, get the bat in play. One last thing on this is that when Mike Trout, the guy who leads the American League in home runs, when he gets two strikes on him, he chokes up, okay? I love that. I love that. I did that, too. I just, you know, I got to the big I did that, too. That's why I I got through the minor leagues, because I choked up about an inch and a half, two inches. And that got me in the big leagues, and it kept me in the big leagues. And Mike Trout does it. So here's here's one other comment I have to make. Who's hit more home runs ever in the history of baseball? Barry Bonds, right? Guess what? The dude choked up two inches on his bat. Right. That's okay. right. Because he was quick. 
he was quick and he was making contact, but he, he, he obviously started grooving that, that launch angle. But what nobody chokes up anymore. Nobody's trying to make contact because you can be a lot quicker. You can wait longer. You're not going to strike out. They can't get in your kitchen because your, your barrel of the bat, I mean, you can get the barrel of the bat in quicker on a ball inside if you're choking up two inches. Get the ball in play with two strikes. I'm a huge proponent of that. I don't see that. I really miss guys choking up an inch or two. The Angels have tried to get that within the organization to the minor leagues, and nobody really do it. Mike Trout learned it when he was like one year in the minor leagues. We, you know, that was our mantra, and he did it, and it's paid, it's paid dividends for him, you know, big time. Yeah, and you know one of the things that Eric and I were talking about before you came on too, Bobby, was that you know the the, the Nationals nobody expected them because on paper you look at all their their, their cumul- the cumulative players and their WAR number or their their statistical you know uh, makeup as players you wouldn't look at that lineup and say well look at this ragtag group they're going to be in the World Series they're going to beat the Dodgers you know, in the in the in the playoffs right and right. and but what you what you don't see in all of those numbers. Um, is you have a scrappy, well-put-together team, and they remind me a lot of your 79 team and some of those early uh, 80s Angels teams where, you know, you had solid players in every single position, uh, right. and, 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 and they, they played as a cohesive unit. You guys played, you right. know, as a unit. You would bunt. You would, you know, you, you guys had, a, had some speedsters that could steal bases. Uh, you had yeah. guys that could hit, hit some, uh, not necessarily lead the league in home runs, but you know, like a guy like Ryan Downing, you know, you could count on him to bring in the driving RBIs and and yeah. and that scrappy play. And plus, you guys had had nails pitchers in those years. Um, you put you put that ingredients those ingredients together. I'd rather have that than 106 wins, you know, like the Dodgers did. With it seemed almost like they just they just you know kind of carved through the league like like a hot knife through butter. They weren't really pushed. And their their stats were somewhat padded when you get to play, you know, some really lousy teams in your division with bad pitching, you you end up with great stats. And and that's kind of one of the things you look at with with Washington is, you know, they really didn't have the luxury. They they had to play the Mets pitching staff a lot. Those guys are nasty. Yeah, right. Right. You gotta play interleague, you gotta play against, you know, the Yankees and, and the Rays and I mean these are these are not fun games. Um so when you get into the playoffs like they're in now, the World Series you know, it's like, well, how do these ragtag guys get there? Because they're ragtag guys. They're not just all, you know, home run hitters and strikeout guys. They they manufacture runs. And so I think we're on the same page with that, Bobby. I think that's uh, going to be – I think Eric and I were saying we hope to see that as a trend, uh, especially for those teams that can't compete in the free agent market like others can. you got to find those um, – you know, those Rendon-type players, those Eaton-type players. You know, the guy that started last night for the the Nationals, um, he got released by the Twins two years ago, you know, and now he's in the World Series, you know. And, and these are – Is that San, these, Sandoval? Uh, it was yeah. Uh, Sanchez, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Sanchez, yeah. Sanchez, so, you know, right. Great story. Um, you know, you got Scherzer, he's 35 years old, shouldn't be doing what he's doing. Um, you know, Strasburg has been a, a guy that the Nationals drafted, and 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 you know, but he went through Tommy John and and fought his way back. Uh, and so, you know, it just almost seems like the uh, the planets aligned for this particular team. We'll see how the rest of the series goes, but uh, it, it, that team reminds me of the teams that you know uh, uh, that that used to play baseball um, on on TV <laughs> versus the ones they're seeing now. I'm not saying that I don't, I'm okay with base players too on the today's game, but I just, you, you can look back and say, well, I wonder what baseball was like in a time machine. Let's go in a time machine to the eighties and boom, there's Washington nationals. 
the 2019 team right there. So uh, yeah. yep. I think one thing that's overlooked with that Washington team is I think they're a pretty doggone good defensive team. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know about um, the left fielder, uh, uh, Sano, Soto. the young Soto. So, Soto, Soto, yeah. Soto, yeah. yeah. But Rendon at third base, he, he's making the tough playbook easy. I mean, he's made yep. some backhand uh, plays over the bag. He's made some plays. He had to charge and come up uh, on the infield on, on a dead run. He came up and just flipped it over, no problem. Turner's made some great plays at shortstop. And I'll tell you who else has been playing a great defense is Zimmerman. Zimmerman yeah. at first base has helped that team tremendously in this in the in their in their run their playoff run because he's picking balls in the dirt on throws, he's making good plays on ground balls because he plays a long way off of first base like Mark Teixeira did. Mark Teixeira was unbelievable at first base. He played he played 30, 30 35 feet off the bag. He kind of started that trend, and now all the other first basemen since Mark Teixeira have been doing that. Zimmerman does it real well, and I tell you, uh, you got to have good catching. And yeah. Suzuki has been great. unreal behind home plate, especially when Strasburg was pitching the other night. He was unreal blocking the ball. We have a man on third base, and a guy throws a fork ball like Strasburg does, and it hits the ground, and then it, it jumps back up. So it, it's going, let's say the catcher, he, you know, he's throwing, it looks like it's going outside. So the catcher moves to his right, but when the ball hits outside, it bounces back to his left because of the spin on it. Right. Suzuki, when when a man's on third base and he makes an incredible block at home on a pitch like that, it's like getting it's like getting an RBI. It's like driving a run in. It's just the same. It's the same amount of value to your team. You just saved your team a run. And Suzuki is like one of the best I've seen. You know, I think you know. And, and so, if you don't have that great catcher, as you well know, Jim, you're a catcher, and 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 uh, and, and so. You know, you got to have those guys back there uh, making those plays. So I think Washington, their defense, Robles in center field made a great play. Um, oh, yeah. Was it last first night? Inning. That, right, yeah, right, yeah. First inning first off inning. Yeah. That yeah. ball's out. In, that ball's out in Houston, by the way. So, <laughs> um, oh, yeah, that ball's out in Houston, unquestionable. And, and um, he made a great play there. So anyway, and Eaton in right field has made solid plays the whole time. So they're, they're tight defensively. And uh, when I played for the old Baltimore Orioles back in the 70s, that was their – uh, reason that they were perennial first place teams in the in the in the American League East, beating the Yankees, beating the Red Sox, who had great teams. Every year they had Brooks Robinson, the human vacuum cleaner. They had Mark Belanger, the blade. They had Davey right. Johnson, or myself at second base. They had Boog Powell, who could pick it for a big man, solid catching, and they had one of the best defensive center fielders in the history of baseball. That was totally underrated. A guy named Paul Blair. Yep. Nobody, even hardly anybody, even knows about Paul Blair. Played the most shallow center field ever nobody ever played any more shallow than him and he would get to balls just with uncanny um uh, instincts and uh would save runs every every single game so i mean defense is sometimes overlooked no doubt bobby and i can't you know by the way eric i don't know if you have anything else to say you and i were talking a little bit more waiting for bobby to to come on but i think we asked all the questions that, that we wanted to get get at bobby and obviously one of the most important uh, things we wanted to you know continue to to remind people is they still got time to get tickets. We still got uh, tickets available to the upcoming APBPA uh, dinner. Is that correct? Yeah, you can go on our website, www.APBPA. So AP, like AP wire photo, and then BP, like taking batting practice. So it's AP wire photo, BP for batting practice, and, and A. 
A for you guys are A plus radio guys. All right. So A P P P A. Dot dot org. Dot org. Dot org. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We we welcome any any baseball fans around Southern California to come to our dinner. There'll be a lot of guys there talking some baseball. We'll have some fun. By the way, Tony Muser is going to be there, and I'm going to ask Tony to come up. Uh, he was a teammate of mine with the Baltimore Orioles. He's from Lakewood. I'm from Long Beach. I actually played against him in high school. So he wow. was a year ahead of me. He was a year ahead of me. We've known each other since we were 17, 18 years old. And uh, he's going to be there. He's going to come up. And he uh, he's, he was a major league manager for the uh, Kansas City Royals. Did he manage in Milwaukee or was he a coach in Milwaukee? I think he was a coach. I can't remember. Okay. So anyway, longtime baseball guy. But he was really, um, you know, being a professional baseball player and coach was really his secondary profession because his real skills and his real talent and what he should have got paid for is being a comedian. So, uh, you know, <laughs> anyway, if you, come, if you come to our dinner, you're going to have the Tony Muser show for about 20 minutes and, and nice. you'll definitely enjoy it. Yeah, uh, looking yeah, forward to that. Enjoy. Looking forward to that a lot. Well, Bobby, right. I, I, we'll make sure that everybody, and we'll put the uh, we'll put the website on the uh, podcast description, uh, so people can just click on the link and get there and be able to get tickets. Uh, and I can tell you firsthand as well, folks, that uh, it is a wonderful night. Uh, you get to rub elbows with people that you've uh, you've been you know you've watched your whole life as as baseball fans. Uh, and I put a couple of uh, things up on Facebook. I had so many friends connect with me, and they're like wait a minute, isn't this one of you guys' like insider dinners that we're not allowed to go to? I'm like, no, 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 man, this is, this is for everybody. So uh, I just, I think that's the most important uh, thing to let people know. If you're local in Southern California, you guys come on down. If you want to, you know, I'll take a road trip. We got a couple of friends coming out from Arizona. Uh, you know, the, the, the dinner is available for anyone who's just a big baseball fan and wants to come out to Anaheim stadium. And, uh, and by the way, the, the tickets are a donation to the organization that helps, you know, uh, dozens of or if not hundreds of players uh including some pretty well-known guys who are going through some pretty tough stuff um and uh, now we're getting into sort of you know some new research uh, with stem cells and there's some uh, interesting you know uh interesting things that have been happening with former players like Michael Bowie who's you know was really in bad bad shape until the uh, association came in stepped up and and helped get him some treatment that was desperately needed and he's definitely coming back uh, on the rebound uh, so stories like this are what, you know, make me as a former player just, you know, really happy to be able to be a part of such a great organization. I was able to give a speech a couple of years ago at the, the last Long Beach dinner. Uh, at the Dick uh, Beveridge uh, retired after that uh, after that evening. Um, and so uh, I, I love the fact, Bobby, that you're taking on the reins and uh, and keeping the organization going. And, and, and again, uh, kudos to you for all the hard work. It's, uh, you know, you're doing this as a volunteer and and um, it's a lot of work. And so we, as the other former players, we really want to, you know, send a big, uh, big thank you out there for keeping this thing rolling too. Thanks Jim for those kind words. I appreciate it. Just one last note. It's uh, only $80. Uh, Going to have some good uh, chicken or fish and uh, we'll have a good dinner for everybody. And we'll have, um, we'll have some wine that uh, will be on the house and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of good baseball night, good networking out with all the, with all the ball players, all the ex players in the brotherhood and, and uh money goes to charity supporting we're supporting about thirty five guys right now that are awesome. down and out. They need a they did a monthly stipend. And so uh it's been going on for a long, long time. We're keeping the tradition going. So appreciate the uh the plug there, Jim. And Eric, nice to talk to you as well, big guy. You guys good luck with your podcast. Thanks, Thanks for joining us, Bobby. Bobby. I really Great. appreciate it. For sure. All right guys. Talk again all right, soon. Take care.
That was awesome. Yeah, he, this is, uh, I knew this would be a lot of fun, not just to, you know, talk about the upcoming dinner, um, which is obviously, you know, a real big part of Bobby's uh, uh, life now that being the president of the organization. But, you know, I knew we would have a lot of fun with his stories. And, and, um, <laughs> and, and, and you know, that Nixon story is just a, one of the most classics of all time. And, and again, I, yeah, I love it the way he tells it. And, and um, I knew I knew that would be a lot of fun. And I can't wait to hear it again. Uh, hopefully he, he gives us uh, another version of it at the uh, at the upcoming dinner on the 11th. Yeah. I'm sorry, on the 9th of uh, November at Anaheim Stadium. So again, for those of you um, who want to find out a little bit more about it, um, check out the description of this podcast. I'll have the link there and you can just click on it and all over the website will give you information about, you know, how to, how to get to, you know, pay for getting to buy the ticket and, and see a little bit about the people that'll be there who have already confirmed to be there. Um, and just to give you an example, Eric, um, when I was maybe a teenager, I would go to this dinner with my, with my grandpa and yeah. he was still the GM of the Dodgers. And, you know, we would get this, you know, a table and, and at the table, you know, you sit down and you don't know who the hell is going to sit next to you. So one year I'm just sitting there and, and grandpa's up talking to some people and he calls me over and, and we, I'm just standing there and he's talking to some people and then we go sit down and I look to my left and there's Sparky Anderson, who's going to sit next oh, to me for the man. whole dinner. And he was an awesome dude. Right. And then like the next year, uh, same, similar thing. We get to our seat and there's Ken Brett, um, you know, George Brett's big brother who was a, a major league pitcher. And so I basically saw, sat next to Ken Brett and he was so funny, so hilarious. Uh, and at the time, actually I was at USC that by that time. And, um, I remember he was saying, so uh, your grandpa says you're probably going to get drafted here one of these uh, years. I'm like, well, hopefully, I hope. Uh, he goes, uh, let me give you my, my, my advice for what I tell every pro player. I go, oh, and I'm just in my mind. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, Ken Brad is going to give me all this wonderful, you know, awesome information yeah. that I, I'll never hear anywhere else, right? He says, how old are you? I said, and at the time, I was like 18 or 19. He goes, okay, you'll probably sign at 20 or so. First thing, don't get married to your 35. <laughs> okay <laughs> okay don't get married and i'm like i'm thinking about taking notes if i'm going to get so deep with his knowledge right and his only line and i go is there anything else he goes no i've seen so many players who got married early and uh you know sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't but um, overall i would just say do like me don't get married till after you're, you're done playing i was like oh, okay <laughs> you know anyway, george I, did the same thing Oh, I know. And I think that's where uh, the whole thing sort of stemmed from. Um, and and it, George was at that dinner, but was at a different table. It, there was a bunch of uh, Royals guys and he hung out at that table. I got to meet him that night too. But again, if you're, if you're listening and, and, you know, you have, let's say a teenager who, you know, is a player and, and, uh, or, or, you know, wants to be a player, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta come out to this event and, and pick these guys brains. They've been there, done that. They've done, they've seen stuff that you've never even thought would be hitting you uh as a player uh and and a lot of these guys did it in an era where it was a lot more difficult because of you know lack of technology that's out there today like like he was talking about bobby the lack of analytics that they had yeah you know um all that kind of stuff it's just you know i i think it's just well worth if you know if you're into baseball and and, and memorabilia sure you, you know you get your these guys will sign your stuff but i think the other part to it is you know you can pick their brains and uh, right. so I, I would encourage, you know, uh, ask, ask Rod Carew about hitting. Why not? He's sitting right there. So, uh, you know, it's anyway. funny. We're talking about, about the Bretts. Uh, George Brett was a guy that when I was a teenager, I, I idolized him. Yeah. And I tried to emulate his swing and, and things like that. Well, I was able to meet him when I was still in college. And so uh, 
I met him, we were talking, and I was still playing, and I asked him some hitting questions. And the first one I asked was, what do you think about when you go up to home plate? He said, nothing, nothing at all. i got to clear my head, and I, I take it pitch by pitch. Yeah. And I've thought about that in years past. It falls in line with what Bobby was saying earlier, uh, going up there and just choking up with two strikes. George Brett did that. Uh, and I think he hit over 400 home runs in his career, but he's not known as a home run hitter. You know, he hit 390 one year, won the batting title. So, And he's the kind of player I compare Mike Trout to George Brett. Same type of hitter, same type of discipline. And consistency, too. The consistency right. was always there. And I think uh, that Mike Trout might end up with the uh, Lifetime Angels contract like George Brett has with the Royals because uh, I think he's yeah. that. He's the you know, same kind of character. And and, uh, and so, yeah, that was uh, th- th- that event was a lot of fun every year for me. You know, the toughest part was my grandpa used to make me wear a sport coat. And I didn't, have, I didn't <laughs> like wearing sport coats, you know. Still don't, but, <laughs> but he he was. Uh, you know, he was making wear a tie though. I, I've seen pictures well, where you're not wearing a tie, and your dad and your grandpa are there with ties on. You're not wearing one. Screw. I got in trouble. I got in trouble those times too. But um, you know, <laughs> they, I can only do. You know, you can You get they, they pulling me off of a baseball field and telling me to take a shower and put a suit on. It's kind of a kind of wasn't my wasn't my cup of tea at that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, the event was so uh, interesting and so fun for me, and I got to see players that I I've only I'd only seen on TV. You know, even though I had like sort of you know behind the velvet rope you know access with the Dodgers, you know I saw those guys enough where they were almost like you know like like you know family friends where you you know they're yeah. just family friends. They're not. It's not Dave. You know Dusty Baker. It's just a really cool guy that plays left field. You know. Yeah. And um, but it was it was for me a real thrill to see like George Brett and uh, all the other players like back then like Rick Burleson who was a local California guy. Um, would go to that event, and he happened to be really good friends with my dad when they were younger, and they're still friends to this day. And we actually we had him on the show, but that's when I really started. Well, wow, that's a shortstop for the Boston Red Sox! Holy cow, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so those 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 events were a lot of fun, and as we didn't get really a chance to talk to Bobby about it, but like I said, they also um, give away uh, the honors for the best you know minor league players of the year. And the guy that won the pitching one last year, and I can't remember his friggin' name right now, is. I'm going to be mad because as soon as we hang up, I'm going to remember it. But anyway, the guy that won that award, um, eventually he got to the big leagues this past year and, and made an impact. Uh, and that's the kind of, those are the kind of you know players that we're, we're inviting to come in and, and get these awards. Um, and these are guys we're going to see on TV next year. So that's yeah. another reason to come out is, uh, is, is you'll, you'll be able to get to meet these young uh, up and comers. Um, so so once again, uh, just, to, just to put a final uh, thing on that, uh, check out uh, the description of this podcast for the uh, APBPA.org link. And I'll take you right to where you can buy tickets. And we hope to have a, uh, hope to see you guys out there. Uh, Eric, let's uh, tell everyone how they can get a hold of you. If there's any other additional questions. Any additional questions. I got a Twitter page. People typically uh, send me messages on Twitter. It's capital DR stands for doctor of baseball or just at Eric Lennonberg. And then on Facebook, my name, Eric Lennonberg. And, uh, I get a lot of messages there, too. Whether you're a connected friend or not, I still get uh, messages. So feel free to send us some feedback. Beautiful. How about you, Campy? How do they get a hold of you? Yep, I'm on Facebook, Jim Campanis Jr. Um, I'm also with uh, on Twitter, which is at Jim Campanis Jr. Or Jim Campanis. And then uh, same with um, Instagram. 
And then uh, you can also check out my books website and it has links right to Amazon. So if you want to pick up one of my books, it's called born into baseball. So the site is born into And real quick, Eric, one quick plug for our uh, sponsor this week. It's ice mule coolers. And I'm sitting in my uh, car because we do this show while I'm driving. And before I uh, left for the drive home today, um, stopped in and got a, a couple beers for the for the World Series game tonight, and I threw them in my ice meal cooler. Now this was at ten o'clock in the morning, okay, and yeah. um, at about nine o'clock in the morning, and so uh, I'm not going to open it now. It's now almost five o'clock, and I guarantee you, there's the, the ice is one hundred percent solid in there. The ice, the beers are perfectly <laughs> chilled, and it's been a, it's a hot day today. The the, the weather's in in the nineties, so. These oh, ice wow. coolers, these ice wheel coolers are awesome, and they, and they're by the way they're backpacks. So um, you think of these other, you know, coolers, these hard ones. Um, this thing you just put it on your back or, or put it over your shoulder. They have a couple different designs. These ice wheel coolers, and I'll tell you what, man, I wish I had these as a player because you can just roll them up, throw them in your bag, and then open them back up and throw the stuff when you need you know, to have a cooler. Uh, and uh, riding a bus 17 hours uh, to go to a, a on a road trip back in the day, uh, you know, we we, uh, we struggled with keeping stuff cold or bringing on big coolers. There wasn't enough room. These yeah. little, uh, and then you know, these if you're a, if you're a baseball, uh, you know, travel ball parent, this is great for those three a days. Let me tell you. So they gave me a twenty percent discount. That's why I'm so excited. Also, so real simple, icemulecoolers.com, icemulecoolers.com. And then use the promo code um, CAMPY20, C-A-M-P-Y-2-0, CAMPY20, and you get 20% off your order. Uh, so it's pretty cool. They have a whole bunch of different selections. Check out icemulecoolers.com, CAMPY20. All right, Eric, I got my uh, again for Ice Mule. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, and uh, anyway, we're looking forward to a couple more shows. I believe this is no- show number 18. Yes, uh, we're going to keep we're going to keep plugging away and uh, and get a bunch more going before the end of the year. So uh, keep checking uh, wherever you like to get your podcast, because we're pumping these shows out a couple times uh, a month or at least a couple times a month. So um, keep it here and uh, we'll uh, we'll tell you more as things get going. Uh, anyway, Eric, thanks again for a wonderful show. Thanks to Bobby Gritch. And don't forget, 11-9, November 9th, big event at Anaheim Stadium for the APBPA. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again, Eric. Stay safe, everyone. See you later.